This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I have a word today that has been pressing on my heart. Um, And I want to talk about, um, you can go ahead and put up the title slide. Um, I wasn't going to put a title for this, um, but just for, um, just so we can kind of get under a grasp of one thing, I just decided to put a title. Um, And so I want to preach on first place. And this isn't like a race. It's like our first place, like where we started. Um, And the message I want to bring today is about the, the, mainly just like the garden, the starting place, and it's a gospel message. And I believe that sometimes we tend to like really glaze over like the garden and the creation account and what Jesus did for us. And I, I can guarantee you as soon as I started talking about the garden creation, like half of you is like, Brent, like I already know this. And it's like, like and you, it feels like easy to zone out. Um, but man, can, can we like engage this one Sunday? Just like, man, God, there's so much more. There's always more. How many of you know when you read the word, the word, the word reads right back to you, just speaks right back to you. There's always so much more. Um, so man, I just really want to dig into it and I don't want to take up too much time for an introduction, but man, there is so much power in the gospel of Jesus Christ so much. And when I say gospel, I'm not talking just about the, uh, of Jesus coming and, and death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking like it starts at the garden. It starts with creation. Um, and and it, it's, it's important to understand the gospel that we, that we preach, the gospel that we, that we know. It's super important to understand. And Romans says that it's the, it's the power unto salvation. And I believe a lot of the times we use the gospel as like just the hook, right, to get a new believer or just like for like like barely beginning Christians. And we kind of use it as a hook, as 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 like the fishing line. But it's not that like, yes, it's good. But man, it is the power unto salvation. And how many of you know we weren't we weren't just saved, but we're constantly being saved. We're being sanctified, and we are waiting for the day where our bodies will be saved. There's a past grace, there's a present grace, and there's a future grace. Come on, what? That's a great. Ooh, man, that's a, I could run through a wall just thinking about that. There's a power ever-present power to not just to like okay you 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 baited me with a good with a good story i'm a christian now and then that's it it is the power unto the power that allows us to walk our lives as as believers right man come on but in in, in order to really understand what this means for us we i believe there's there's another slide up if you can put it up right after this I kind of just want to read it your understanding of the covenant you're in will dictate how your faith looks your understanding of and I believe many of us have like a, a good understanding like yeah like I'm saved and, I, and I'm going to heaven and Jesus came and died for my sin but there's so much more to that and if that's all you know your faith will look exactly like that your faith will reflect that and, it's, and it can be very easy to, to see, like, man, how much someone really knows of the covenant that they're in. Covenant. 
If you guys would turn, well, actually, we're not going to go there yet, but we will be in Genesis, just so you know. Um, but what is this covenant that we're in? All right, and you can go to the next slide. And so there is a man's gospel, and there is the gospel. And whenever, I, I know it gets very, like, before I even say anything, actually, man's gospel, oh, you can go back. Man's gospel and the gospel both save. So before I start anything else, both of these gospels save. Nothing is inherently wrong about these gospels. And I'm sure you can already tell that, like, like you may have an idea of, like, what man's gospel is. And we have this kind of, like, language where it's like, oh, it's all about man. And we just focus on us and what kind of worship music I like and this and that. Uh, but um, I, I, I want to just, like, highlight a few things. We can go to the next slide now. Man's gospel. And what man's gospel is, it, it starts with man's sin. Man's sin. It becomes the leading foot of the gospel. And we know this. And we know this like when we evangelize and we talk, to, we talk the gospel, you hear someone preaching about the gospel for the first time. It starts with, you know, like the Romans wrote, like, oh, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it begins, and that becomes like the main, the main foot, the leading foot of the gospel and how we present the gospel. You've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, and you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent. And, and while that is true, it's the leading foot. Why? And then we get to, and Jesus came to die for your sin, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then we get all of these, your sins are forgiven, saved from hell, and you go to heaven. I, know, I hope that mic's not in the way for having you still read it, but... It's, it's almost, I'm just going to come up here, actually. Sorry, cameras. Jesus gives you all this. Because we did this, God, Jesus now does this for us, and now we get all this. Man's gospel. Now, like I said, I'll reiterate again. This gets people saved. That still saves people. There's people that are now believers that are children of God that, are, that have followed this. This is all true. You are, your sins are forgiven. You are saved from hell. You are going to heaven. Jesus did die. He was buried and resurrected for you, right? But the problem is right there. Man's sin, the leading foot. I want to highlight why this, why this can be um, dangerous. There's another slide. It's, you can go to it. it should be just like a little paragraph I want to read this as well if all you ever know is what Jesus did for you and not the why you will be stuck in a loop of rituals routines and methods that will inevitably lead to a cold and numb heart if all you know is the what but it's never coupled with the why you will lead a life with no power with no passion for the gospel for Jesus has to be coupled with that. You can go back to the previous slide. You know, you know why you know why I experience burnout? You may be you may you may come here to church or you maybe serve at another church or you're doing the works of ministry. You want to know a leading cause of why I experience burnout? Is because you begin to serve out of gratitude for these things, and so you you serve. And then you burn out because it's like it's almost like a transaction to you. Like, well, Jesus did this for me, and now I'm going to serve. 
and then you, you, every time you want to give more passion to serve, you have to remind yourself, oh, but my sins are forgiven. I'm saved from hell and I'm going to heaven. And you keep ending in this cycle where you're burnt out. You remember this, you're burnt out. You remember this, you're burnt out. You remember this. Why? Because you, you're, you've broken that tether that connects you to a revelation of Jesus. You've broken that tether that connects you to the man of Jesus because this is where you're serving from. It's like the, like the, like these are your gifts. And hear my heart on this. This is true. This is, this is accurate. You are forgiven. You, 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 because of Christ Jesus, you now have, can enter eternal life and you, you will go to heaven and you don't have to uh, necessarily worry about hell, right? But something that I keep coming back to about man's gospel is just how our depravity and our sin has been our starting place. If you'll turn with me to, let's go to Genesis. Genesis. I don't think you need to, though. Let's go to Romans 3, and then we'll switch over to Genesis here soon. Here's why, here's why this troubles me so much. Romans 3, and you can read up here if you, if you haven't gotten there yet. It says, I'm going to get on the stage, so again, sorry, cameras. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I'm not sure if I have another one following that. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. I don't think I do. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. What does this mean? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. If you will switch just one page over, Romans 7. And if you can go to Romans 7, we're going to start in verse 9. We're going to go through 12. It says, I was once alive. This is Paul speaking. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, Sin came alive and I died. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous. Is there, is there another one? Yep. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. Hold on now. 
did which is good, the law, then bring death to me. By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might be become sinful beyond measure so in other words he's saying that through this commandment we understood sin and therefore it empowered sin if you don't know the commandment the law actually empowered sin because through the go back to the last slide because through the knowledge sorry one more the one before that because through the law comes knowledge of sin The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. There's another, there's a scripture that we're going to read in the first, in, in, in Genesis, in the account of man. Now we can, we can uh, move over to Genesis. The knowledge of sin. actually start in verse uh, chapter 2 verse uh, here we go verse 26 no chapter sorry chapter 1 verse 26 and we're just going to go through here thank you man chapter 1 verse 26 and then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over this fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And then he gives them, uh, he gives them like, blessed are you, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and you'll have dominion over all this creation that I've given you. And we keep going. Now we get a more detailed account of the creation of man. And in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then God, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put a man whom he formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and, for good, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Follow with me. We're, we're, we're still not there yet. Keep following with me. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, I'm just reading the Bible today. I hope that's okay. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see him, what he would call them, man. And, and God is just bringing 
Adam into this creation. See, God is a God that shares in his glory. He doesn't just keep it to himself. Do you realize how easy it would have been for God to just name every animal and just like, but instead he, he, he sets this, he's, he, in God in his humility, being all powerful as he is, he just, in, in humility says, Adam, I'm gonna let you actually name them. And I, I bet you there was some animals that God wasn't really vibing with, right? Like a giraffe or an elephant. And he was like, I, I, don't, I don't know, but hey, if he said so, right? But, he, but the point is, God is sharing this story with Adam. And if we don't, if, I hope you catch this. This is our first place, is that God intended us to share his glory with us. He intended, intended to, for us to be with him in glory, communion and fellowship. See, Adam and Eve, uh, they were walking with God. We're not talking about Jesus in the flesh. We're not talking about the least. We're talking about the person of God was walking with them in the garden. The very presence of God was walking with them in the garden. And they were man and woman. Like, just, just like us, us. Imagine you just, just picture this for a second. You're in a garden with God. You have everything you need. And you're just breathing the presence of God in and breathing it out. And you're in perfect fellowship with God. There's nothing that he's holding against you or you against him. It is just perfect union with him. That is our starting place. See, I don't, I, I don't believe God made man, made Adam, or made Eve with a single sinful bone in their body. Why? Because the scripture says that he was, they were made in the image of God. Is God perfect? Is God whole? Is God pure? And he made them in their image. I don't, and we, before we even get to chapter 3, there was no part of the man and woman in them that desired, I want to rebel against God. I want to do this my own way. There was, and, and, and just, just hold on with me just for a second. There was nothing in them that said that. All they knew, all they could see, all they could put their eyes on was God. And they were just in perfect union and fellowship with him just every day, day in and day out. They were just with God. There was nothing about them that desired to seek their own good or their own profit. It was just me and God. That's our starting place. See, when we, when we read Romans, uh, Romans and, and it says, for all men have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, how come we never preach about the glory that we fell from? This creation account is the glory that was there, that was the intention, that was the first starting place, and we fell from that. But I don't believe it was because Eve or the man desired to, to sin against God. They didn't know good from evil. They just simply knew a command from God, don't eat of this tree, and the rest, just, just be with me. Let me share my glory with you. Let me share my love with you, my, just me, my heart. Let me share it with you. Let us just be in this, in this harmony. Verse 22 in chapter 2 says, and uh, sorry, 
Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man, catch this, verse 25, if you're following along. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Imagine just being bare before the Lord with all you, all human, all of your humanity, and you're there without shame, without guilt. There was nothing to hide. Can you imagine that? Imagine if God walked in, the person of God, imagine if you were to walk into this room. I'm sure there's some of you who'd kind of shrink back, like, oh, no. Because of what I did last night or what I did this past week or the, 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 my impure thoughts, whatever it may be. And I've, there's, there's a tendency to shrink back. And we even see this. God doesn't even have to like, walk in this room for us to see that. Like We see that in our own lives. As soon as, as, soon as we, we do something that falls short of, 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 of God and, and his intention for us, we shrink back and we're almost like scared to pray. We almost don't want to pray because, like, ah, I need to fix. Let me, let me at least go a week without this, and then I can talk to God, and we can talk about what happened, right? But there, but this is not what this is not what man and woman had. They had full freedom to be just, like I said, naked and unashamed before God in all His purity, in all His holiness, in all His righteousness, in all His just perfection, and they were unashamed. That's our starting place. Now remember, I don't believe that man and woman were made with that sinful desire. But let's, 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 let's go into that. If you're following with me, we're going to be in verse 3. I didn't put it up on the slides intentionally, so I hope you guys are following me. Verse 3. Right after, right after 25, where they were both naked and not ashamed, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right there, we already see the, the, the enemy's first lie. God didn't say any tree. He said the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he, sees, he sends in this, 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 this really sleek lie of any tree. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now, we didn't see that when God first told man. So we have to assume that, that Adam was like, okay, I, we really got to make sure. And he probably should told told Eve, like, hey, we can't even touch it. Don't even go near it, right? And, and here we go in verse 3. But... but um, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Verse 4, sorry. But the serpent said to the woman, you will n- uh, not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So this man was right next to her and didn't say anything, <laughs> like just lets his serpent talk. They both eat of this fruit. And notice that it says, as soon as Adam eats from this fruit, then the eyes of both were open. Didn't God say that they would die? You will surely die if you eat of this. And that's what Eve said, tells, oh, she, her name wasn't Eve at the time, but the woman tells the serpent, you will, not surely, you, you will surely die if we eat of this. And the first thing that happens is that their eyes were open. So was the serpent right? Well, if you're looking at, if you're looking at simply on the physical, what I believe here took place was a spiritual death, and I'll tell you why. Then the eyes of both were open. Here's the why. And they knew that they were naked. So what preceded, what, what came after this spiritual death that took place? And don't get me wrong, there was a physical death that also takes place. Um, but what happens with this spiritual death is that they, for the first time in human history, first time in the history of the entire world, man looked at themselves for the first time because up until that point it was just i'm naked and unashamed before the lord and it was perfect communion perfect harmony and for the first time they knew that they were naked their eyes were opened And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what you see here is now they're covering for it. What was innocent and what was pure now has been polluted and it has been, it has been distorted in their own eyes. They put on the eyes of God for, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a just figure of speech, like they put on these eyes of God and they judge themselves, something that was not actually even wrong. God was with them while they were naked, but for the first time they actually took their eyes off of God and they looked at themselves and they covered themselves up. Follow with me. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Again, for the first time in the history of the world, of the universe, God couldn't find man, and man hid themselves from God. Why? We'll get to the why right here. He said, where are you? Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. He didn't say, well, because I ate of this fruit, because I didn't do what you command. He said, I was naked. I heard you coming and I hid myself. Verse 11 said, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And I just read this with like a, like the Lord with just like, like almost like a broken heart. Like, who told you that? 
like, oh, no, you weren't supposed to know that. No, like, <laughs> why? Like, no, no, like now, like all this communion, now you're going to learn to look at yourself and you're going to learn to, to not look at me and you're not going to want to be with me and you're going to hide. And I just believe the Lord was just, just hurt over this, that what I created you for and now you're hiding from me. And I believe the Lord knew what was going to go down after that. And he says, who told you that? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, for he's blaming the woman, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent. So it's just a pointing game at this point. The serpent deceived me and I ate. First thing that God does says, cursed are you serpent. He doesn't address man first. He doesn't address the woman. He says, cursed are you serpent. Why? Like I said, I don't believe the man and woman were made with a sinful bone, but it was through deception. We forget that, man, the enemy was at work, and he deceived. He deceived uh, this woman who didn't have already this knowledge of good and evil, right? She had a command. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking responsibility away from, from the woman or the man. They were wrong for doing that, right? They had a commandment. They disobeyed, right? But why? Because they were first deceived. The devil's, like, this serpent was saying, like, like, trying to get them to see something that they didn't have. They had everything. They had everything they could ever need. And the devil's like, you're missing something, though. They were made to be, they were made to be perfect. They were made to be in constant communion and fellowship with God and they and the serpent comes and I just kind of want to read this this curse that was placed the Lord God said to you because said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your heel and you shall you shall uh, he shall bruise your head, sorry, and you shall bruise his heel. So there he's talking about uh, Jesus and the enemy. He shall bruise your head. To the woman, he said, you will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall not eat you shall eat bread till the return of the ground till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken um for you are dust and to dust you shall return thorns and thistles you sh it, it shall bring forth to you bring forth for you and as you as we can see here is that thorns have have now become a almost like a as a symbolic uh, image of the curse. And you think that Jesus putting on a crown of thorns on his head was something random of torture? 
But when Jesus came down and he puts on this crown of thorns where his mind, where, where all your thoughts take place, he's saying, I crucify these thoughts. I crucify this curse upon my, up on my head. And, and, and it, as those thorns sunk into him, it was that curse of every thought that has held you captive, of every anxiety and every worry and every depression, every lie of the enemy, it was sunk into his skin. And, and, and while Jesus was, was on the cross, because he was hung on that cross, he was cursed. He became sin. And he died. Do you know that God didn't come and put a band-aid on all your sinfulness? He actually crucified and buried God did not come to put a band-aid on your sinfulness. He crucified it. It was nailed to the cross. And it was buried. He's not a, he was not a quick fix. And I believe, every, every, uh, not I believe, it's in the scripture. Ever since then, God was looking for that redemption of man to come back to him. And we see covenant after covenant made. And we see Israel breaking it and breaking it over again. And man just could not fulfill their end of the bargain. And this person of love, this God of love, this God that is love, love went searching Love went searching for this union that he once had at the garden. Do you see that when we're restored, we're restored back to something. You're restored back to something. It doesn't start, if you can go with the first chart again. The one where it's just this side. Man's sin is not starting with this. It didn't start with that. There was a glory that we came from. It was a glory that man fell from. And then, and then God, in his love and his mercy, in his pure dedication and, and commitment to mankind to restore. Because keep in mind, man was made in God's image. And God will stop at nothing to restore his image if you go to the Jeremiah verse, here he speaks a, a, a prophetic word of this new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. What's different about this covenant? What did we just finish talking about? That every, every, everything that was coming, like that the God tried to make in a covenant and there was like these two hands of God and man shaking hands and like this is our covenant. Man could not fulfill their end. But this is a covenant that he is making with man that cannot be broken. On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke... God did not break his covenant. God was stayed true to himself. If you remember when, when God promised to Adam, he swore by himself because that was the surest thing that he could swear by. He said, I swear by myself because there's, no there's no one higher than me. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Do I have 34? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, and no longer shall each of each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Come on. I will forgive their iniquity. God forgives your iniquity and he remembers your sin no more. Some of you don't believe that. But this is the promise that he's making. There is nothing you did to deserve that. Paul says, so that no man shall boast. This is the works of Jesus. Jesus in God, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Why is it so hard for us sometimes to really like understand? Like, why? Because our minds are really set on the flesh. And keep like, don't get me wrong. Like, sin still exists in this world, and it's 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 in our members. But what did what did Jesus come to do? You go with me to Romans 7. Here we get in this, here, here we get in this, in this uh in this loop, right? Where or sin is is has become the leading foot, but Jesus came and he became sin. Jesus in the flesh, God, God in the flesh comes and he becomes sin. And he's crucified and he's buried. Like I said, it's not a band-aid. He came, took place of us and of sin and it was crucified and it was buried. So how is it that we can still struggle with this sin or whatever habit it is that we are? Um, and I think Paul really like, you can probably empathize with Paul a lot here. And he says, for I do not do the good. Let me, hold on, right before we go to that. It's not up there, but it says, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, verse 15, for I do not, for I do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Whoa. What did Paul just do right here? He puts a separation between him and this sin. I'm just reading my Bible, God. I'm, I'm just reading. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what, I, what is right, but not the ability to carry out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. How many of you can relate to that? Now, if I do what I want, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Isn't that interesting? This may be, this may be like challenging some, some, uh, some of you right now, but it is no longer I who, this is Paul speaking, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, so I find it to be a law that when I, when, I, when I want to do right, 
evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, in my inner being. He desires it. He delights in the law of God. But as we just read, he keeps doing what he doesn't want to do. We don't know what he was talking about, but that's, that it's, just, it's just him. It's almost his frustration just being poured out in scripture right here. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. That part really got me right there. So, Paul, you're saying that when you sin, it's not you doing it. But it's the sin that dwells within you. Why? Let me explain why. Because when Jesus came to be your sin, he was crucified. That means your sin was crucified. Your sin was buried. Your addiction was crucified and buried. Your, your impure thoughts were crucified and buried. Your addiction was crucified and buried. Your depression was crucified and buried. Name any sin right now. It was crucified. There's no sin that anyone could call out right now that was not crucified and buried with Jesus. No, there's nothing you can list out to me that was not crucified and buried. And some of you think that your sin somehow crept through the cross and you're still dealing with it. That your sin made it through the crucifixion, through the burial, and it was also came out with Jesus on, from the grave. No, you are dead to sin. Why? Because Jesus died. Because Jesus died, your sin was dead. And we, and Paul says that we should consider ourselves dead to sin. Because of that. We're going to keep going. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And remember what we said, it still is in our members. It dwells in our members, but he's making a specific distinction. There's, a, there's my flesh and then there's my spirit. But I see in my members another law waging for. He's expressing there's this huge thing like he just he's going back and forth and he's wrestling and he doesn't know how to do. He can't get out of it. Like I keep doing I, everything that I want to do, I can't do, and everything I do do, like I can't do. Like and, and and he's just going over all this and he says, "Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And the distinction here to make is we must be walking in according to the Spirit. Wretched man that I am, who would deliver me of this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I didn't put this next verse on here, but it's chapter 8. There is therefore, in light of everything we just read, I guess I did put it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who, in light of everything that we just went over, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Someone say, has set you free. Has set you free. Is it saying will set you free? Could set you free. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Do I have a, do I have a next one? Yes. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk what not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those catch this right here for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the thing of on the things of the spirit he's telling us to set our minds on this to live according with this considered he's saying considered this live according to the spirit set your minds on the things go to the next one for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is death on the is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you may be wondering, like, how do I know if I'm, if I'm in the flesh or am I in the spirit? I want to please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Here's why. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. I'm going to stop right there. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, you are not of the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day or day. You know you're sealed with the Spirit? If, in fact, the Spirit of God does that's how you know you are in the Spirit. Why? It's not any of your works that you've done. This is the emphasis of the gospel. All because of the works of Jesus, you can be in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in you. It blows my mind how we, we all just haven't exploded yet. God's pureness, if you feel like you're so dirty and so sinful, how can God possibly like be in there? And I think we kind of get it opposite sometimes and we feel like, we feel like well, if you want to keep the Holy Spirit in you, you better get your spiritual disciplines up and you better not sin and do this and that and works like seven days a week at church. You know, like we start to get in this works mindset because it's the temptation, right? But this is, this is all that it's saying is that if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are in the Spirit. Wow. And we try to position ourselves for righteousness when Jesus has brought us near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, but you, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, what, what? By the blood of Christ. Not by your works, not by, not by your, your discipline, which is all good, right? Discipline is good. But what brought you near? The blood of Jesus. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, here we go again. If Christ is in you, is Christ in you? Have you believed, have you put your faith in him? If, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his uh, spirit who dwells in you. There's that word, it says, from the, the dead will also. It will. There's a future grace. There's a future salvation. When we wait for Jesus to come back, he comes to save our mortal body, our flesh. See, as we can see through, through the gospel, our spirits were saved at the cross. 
we're being sanctified in our soul and our in, in our members and when Jesus comes back there is a salvation for our mortal bodies it is a all in all gospel that covers everything that man how good is that gospel he didn't come to just say your sins are forgiven he came to take away the sins uh, John the Baptist says behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins you do you realize you're not just forgiven he has wiped you clean his blood has wiped you clean if you remember in, in, in the olden days with, with Israel, they had a high priest where they would go in once a day, or once a, once a day, sorry, that is a knock. They'd come once a year on the Day of Atonement. And, they, and this would be like that temporary forgiveness for, for all. And if you remember that story, it's where, where David's transferring the tabernacle and, uh, and, and, and someone just simply lays a hand on it because it was stumbling because the ox were, were stumbling and he tries like to, to make sure the covenant doesn't the, the ark of the covenant doesn't fall and he instantly dies why because he was not pure he was not cleansed he was he was definitely nowhere near like at all he was he was depraved he was not holy and if he was not holy he could not even touch the presence of god without just falling that's why i say how is it that we are not exploding or falling dead right now how clean has the blood of Jesus must have made you? How clean must the blood of Jesus have made you? Where you're standing boldly in the presence of God. You can come to him and call him Father. Why? Although your disciplines are good, they are not what justifies you. The blood of Jesus has been sprinkled and washed you. Come on. Verse 12, I don't, I'm not sure if it's up there. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, God came down in the form of man to give you something else to look at. You know why Peter started sinking? If we remember that story, Jesus says, you have little faith. As soon as he started sinking, he was walking on water. Imagine you walking on water and God says you have little faith because you started sinking a little bit. Why is it that he said you have little faith? He took his eyes off of Jesus. And that's when he began to sink. And I believe in our own world, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose sight of our first place. First John says, those who hope, put their hope in the Lord purify themselves. And in the context of that verse, he's talking about when the Lord comes back. Do you know that simply just looking and putting your hope in Jesus for him to come back is what purifies you? I'm going off on a little tangent here, but if you follow me, like imagine if the next day I told you God was coming back, Jesus was coming back. Would your schedule for today look the same? No. Why? You, you, would, you would rearrange everything. You'd be in the prayer room and you'd just be, just be doing anything that your life could do that could reflect the goodness and glory of God. You would do that. Why? Because it purified your schedule, right? Imagine in our own 
mind and our own spirit when we just live our lives. This is how you overcome sin here. This is how you overcome impurities is by you keep your eyes on that Jesus is coming back. And John, and, and John says that purifies you because you're going to start living. If you lived every day of your life with the, with the, with the hope, the, the dream that God comes back and Jesus comes back for you, your life would look a whole lot different. See, everything that this gospel says is that is, is simply putting our, our eyes on Jesus. If you go to that last chart with both of them up there, the gospel is the revelation of Jesus. Looking to him, what he's done, who he is, and why he did it. There's one that I also didn't put there, but it's going to be, it, it's, it's power, limitless power through the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. That's what empowers you to walk rightly. Philippians tells us that it's not us at work, but it's, it's God at work within us, both to will and to, and to work for his good pleasure. Union with Christ and glory. We will be with him in glory. Like I said, this gets people saved, this gets people saved. But here's the difference. This one allows you to walk in the fullness of why Jesus did it. This brings you back to the garden. Even though I think we have a much better covenant than they did at the garden. But looking at Jesus and putting your faith in him. Yes, man have sinned. But we are called to live according to what? The spirit. This isn't to say like we're going to brush us into the side. But I'll also submit to you, what did Paul say? It's not I who do it. So it's more of like, what are you going to identify yourself with? Are you going to identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Or you're, or you're still going to look at yourself like Adam and like Eve? Are you still going to be looking at yourself and try to prove your own covering? See, when, when even back in the garden, when they were exiled out of this garden, God still performed the first animal sacrifice, the first blood sacrifice, and clothed them in animal skin. They clothed themselves in, in loincloths and leaves. They He clothed themselves in the blood. Since then, he was waiting. Since then, he provided a covering. Why? So that they wouldn't look in his own mercy for them, in his own grace for them. He clothed them so they wouldn't look have to look at themselves anymore. And anytime that we fall short, it's because we have, st we have stopped putting our eyes and our focus and our attention and our devotion to Jesus and we've started worshiping other things. You see, another problem with man's gospel is we tend, to, we tend to flip this, right? Your sins are forgiven, you go to heaven, you're saved from hell. But in, in, in turn, we make death our savior. Because I'm not going to be free from sin until Jesus comes back and I get to be in heaven with him. And then I can experience the fullness of my, of, of my Jesus and of this gospel. But this is the fullness. Death is a great part because we get to be in, that, that's the hope that Christians cling on to is that we get to be with God and we get to be in his presence and, and, and there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow and, and there's no more grief, there's no more mourning and, and that's all beautiful. But heaven is not the savior. Jesus became to be the savior and he's showing us a way of how we can walk in this glory with him. 
And I believe, and there's so much, there's so much I want to get into, but I won't just for the sake of time, but I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I believe that there's, you want to know what repentance looks like? It looks like turning away, changing your mind, and just looking at him. Putting your eyes back on, on, on Jesus, what he's done for you. There's a song and it, it goes, um, wow, I forgot the lyrics. I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We also sing that song, we're over the blood of Jesus that washed me white as snow. Do we believe that? We sang a song today, this morning, and I don't know if you caught it, but he says, I'm dead to sin. And Paul speaks about this. He's like, we, we, we ask ourselves, okay, Alex, well, if I'm dead to sin, why do I keep sinning? Why am I still in the struggle? It is your flesh at work against what Jesus has paid for. And if the devil can't make you believe that, he'll make you believe that it's you and that you'll just bring shame upon yourself and you'll judge yourself like Adam and Eve did. And that will keep you from experiencing coming back to the Father. You know, when in, in Luke, uh, Luke 15, when, he, when the prodigal son comes back and, and he's, he's, he's on his way back, he's already judging himself and it's keeping him from going into his father's presence like, Dad, I'm home, and embracing him. No, he had a whole plan and a whole thing of things he was going to say because he started judging himself. He started looking at all the things he did, but God was just, or the, uh, the father was just looking at him saying, like, welcome home, son. See, God doesn't just, God, God's not, intention right now is, is not just for you to get saved and go to, and go to heaven and you get saved from hell. His plan for you is to live in the fullness of joy, to, re, to remember the joy of your salvation, to live in union with Christ, to experience in glory. The word says that, that, if you, uh, that, that uh, we will surely uh, be in joy, be united in glory with him. If we can learn to look at him. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good to acknowledge that that you have sinned, and that's why I believe that's where repentance comes in. That's where the Holy Spirit comes and convicts, right? But the temptation with man is to work for these things. I have sinned, God, and that's. I think that's why for some of you, like doing uh, the the Lord's Supper, doing communion, can almost you feel kind of bad. Like, dang, God, you really did that for me. And it becomes transactional. You're like, God did this for me, and now I'm going to take this. Because, like, no. You think baptism, like, like it's just an expression. Baptism is you are being baptized into his death. Why? So you can be joined and reunited with him in resurrection. You are declaring that you and your old man is now dead and alive to who? To Christ. What a good gospel. That's more than just a hook, guys. That is a power unto salvation. That is a power to walk in, in, in the fullness of your salvation, the fullness of God. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.